Hello everyone and welcome to episode four, which will be entitled Walk the Line, which Aidan will explain a little bit more about in a minute. Before that, I shall introduce the coffee that we are drinking today. And we've got our second Donegal roaster, the first being the Shack. The second today, which we're drinking is New Kid Coffee. So New Kid is the coffee that is homed in the counter in Letterkenny, and I believe it's in a few other places around the county. Maybe elsewhere, I'm not sure, but I am drinking their seasonal blend, which is a Colombian and Guatemalan mix with taste notes of chocolate, praline, and bright. Does that make sense, Mr. Coffee Man? And, and bright? Hmm, I don't mm. know what that means. Maybe like, and bright acidity, or... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, something along those lines. But that actually, like, <laughs> I'm actually doing this kind of thing in my mouth when I'm there, when I'm here. You describe that coffee. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's half four in the evening. I'm like, oh, I'd love some of that now. <laughs> so, walk the line, Aiden. What does that mean? So, Stephen and listeners, we had a serious conversation with this guy called Fergus Farley a couple of weeks ago. And Fergus represented Connacht at under 18, under 19, and under 20s level. And he was also capped uh, for the under 18s Irish youths. So he's a super big guy. And uh, Fergus suffered this horrific uh, spinal injury at work one day. And he was diagnosed with having ruptured three spinal discs. And one of the discs was leaking onto the spinal cord, um, which almost shredded it completely. Uh, Fergus was told that he wasn't going to be able to walk again uh, despite surgery in the National uh, Spinal Unit in the matter. So I'm not going to give away much more about what happened and and how Fergus got on after his injury but it is an incredible story and I'm very much looking forward to listening to the story again myself. So without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with myself, Stephen and Fergus. Fergus, tell us more about the 6th of October 2018. What happened that day? Um, yeah, so sorry, no, it was the 20, 26th of October. Um, so yeah, standard day, you know, I'm actually looking out of the yard now at the moment and um, see exactly where it happened. Um, so I was ready to go. I'm in the bus and coach industry. I was ready to drive a coach load of uh, rugby players up to um, Belfast at a game. It was a Friday. Um, but I had my shirt and tie on, you know, as you would, you know, driving a bus up, uh, up to Belfast. And um, I just, there was a bench in the yard. And simple bitch was, uh, I thought it was going to, somebody was going to reverse into it or something like that. So I said, look, I had 15 minutes to spare before I had to go on the bus journey. I asked the mechanic to come out and help me to move the bench. Now, the same bench I would have lifted many times myself. It was a metal bench, nothing crazy. It was just a work bench, you know. And um, so the mechanic came out because I was in my shirt and tie, I lifted the bench out for me. You know, you know, you lift it out for me and you take your steps. And um, just as I was taking the step, I, I got an awful shot up the back and I dropped it and uh, me being me I only had to move another five or six meters after kind of recovering from that kind of shot up the back I said come on let's go again and uh, lifted it took one step and bang gone literally um, 
within a split second, I was on the ground, roaring in pain. I was like somebody just pulled a shotgun from my, my center of my back and pulled the trigger. I heard this massive explosion. Um, well, I don't know whether I heard it or just felt it. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what it was because it happened so quickly. And then um, just I was lying on the ground, no feelings from my belly button down. Surreal experience. You know, you're looking at your feet, you don't know what's going on, and you're roaring in pain. And um, the person who was there beside you is just looking at you going, what the hell is going on here? And um, yeah, that was it. A very, a very simple, basic thing that happened. A very unusual thing to happen, but very basic. You know, and, and, and as I suppose, it's, it's, people will always say, you know, that must be an awful day. And it was an awful day, but, you know, something, it's been a blessing. It really has been. It's changed my life around for the better. Um, and people will say, going, why? Um, because, you know, I'm in a lot better place now, mentally, physically, everything, you know, just a lot better now. And that goes down to basically what happened that day. So I presume after, after the accident happened, you were rushed to hospital or? Yeah. Um, so basically the, uh, so I was lucky enough, um, the grandparents' house that we just moved into because we had sold our house in uh, Athenry because we were starting to build a new place, they say about a mile away from here, a new house. And so we were living in the grandmother's house um, for like six or eight months. Uh, so while I was down on the ground and the mechanic was looking at me, uh, I was like going, um, go get my wife, you know, uh, who's a midwife. And uh, so he went in and she came out and rang the ambulance and ambulance man came out. Tommy Mann was, was the the name that I remember most. His paramedic came out and they did absolutely everything amazing. Now, I was still roaring in pain. Couldn't stop roaring in pain. It was just like somebody was pouring acid down on top of my body, um, especially around my mid-region. Um, because of basically what it was, was my nerves were actually dying and trying to reconnect all over my body from my you know belly button down so it was like that was, that's what i was told afterwards you know that basically you know they were dying and they were trying to reconnect and that's like hundreds of thousands of nerve endings i was just trying to re refire while the pain was unreal but i know so they came out rushed me into um uh, the mercy uh day and in, in galway and again they were like they weren't so they weren't panicking like or anything like that. And all fairness to Tommy Mahan, he hung around and said, Hold on, there's you know, there's there's something wrong here, you know. This man is completely paralyzed. And he said, Usually, you know, you, you get a call out like this, like by the time they're actually in the ambulance, there's there's movement and there's strength and there's, you know, they're they're you know, once they get the painkiller, they're nearly jumping around the place again, you know. But with myself, there was still absolutely nothing. I was roaring in pain and still so eventually somebody came to me and look at the ultimately sent me off for an MRI, which again was extremely, extremely painful. I'm sure you've been in MRI machines before, you know, the really tight little cylinder, you know, cylinder um, units. Went in, got the MRI done, which was, I tell you this much, trying to stay still for 40 minutes in an MRI machine and your roaring and pain um, was torture. So got it done, and then that's when they discovered the um, based into my injury. You know, so I'd ruptured my T9, T10, T11, and one of them had. Um, so usually the discs would rupture out away from the actual um, disc, or from the spinal cord. One of them ruptured and went and leaked into the spinal cord channel. And um, what they call it in the medical term is it's the pinched um, 
the 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 spinal cord, and uh, it was up to ninety percent pinched. So I was very lucky that there was that ten percent just hanging on. And uh, when they discovered that, then you could see the alarm bells, you know, going around. That you know the consultant was called down straight away, and phone calls were being made left, right, and centre, trying to get me up to Dublin because they couldn't deal with that in Galway. And uh, so, first of all, the Bowman Hospital was meant to said said that yeah, we'll take you in because the spine, the National Spinal Unit in Maher said they were full, they couldn't take me in, they were full, and. Uh, then obviously they got into Bowman and this information was being dripped into me and my wife and um, and so they got the Bowman said they, they, they'll get me done um, but they wanted me to do a few more tests um, so when I was getting up there they'd have all the information they needed so while that was going on they were arranging the, the air ambulance to bring me up and they got the air ambulance down from that loan which was the army one and because they had to do a few more tests, you know, there was a delay to getting me onto the air ambulance. But when all the tests were done and everything, the next thing, the National Spinal Unit uh, rang up in the matter and said, we can take them. At this stage, I got it, it was around four o'clock in the evening, middle of winter, and uh, the air ambulance that was there are not allowed to fly when it's dark. Yes. Yeah. So I had to be blue lighted up because there's a timeline that you have to get this mercy operation done or the call would have been completely notary separate. And from my understanding, that's definitely, well, according to, there was a grade A spinal cord injury. So that is to everybody in the medical field is lights out, paralyzed for life, no matter what. And that's, that's you know, um, that's what the saying was. And so... <laughs> you were told uh, that you were told you'd be paralyzed for life so uh, at that at state that stage no nobody was telling me any information you know but look i look at, from about 10 minutes into this injury when i was able to start thinking i knew that this was not uh a very straightforward go in you know get a fix i just you know you know from the severity of the pain and how quick it happens and you, you just you know you you just know it's 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 not a quick fix, no matter what way you look at it. Um, you know what was so, what was going on in your head from the moment of um, leading up to trying to get up to to Beaumont or trying to get up to the spinal injury clinic. I, I, I'll be honest with you, because like they, 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 they still weren't telling me a whole heap, you know, because I don't think they knew a whole amount of you know, especially in Galway, you know, they just don't have that that specialty, you know, so. All I could think about was actually the pain. Nice. All the way like because look, I'm a bus driver. I know that guy to Dublin Road, like the back of my hand. So I was going up in the ambulance, and like every every slight mo- movement was excruciating pain. It was you know it was like I was doing my crucial ligament over and over and over and over again. You know it was just unbelievable pain, and. Even the vibe, you know, the vibrations of a vehicle that though you wouldn't feel it normally, but driving up a motorway, even that little vibration that was in, in the ambulance was just like it was like it was just running through my body. So all I could think of, honestly, God, was pain, pain, pain. I had no no real opportunity to go there and go, oh my God, what's after happening? Because it just it just wasn't. I, I just all I could think about it was the pain. Simple as, and then I got to Dublin, and 
And this part I couldn't understand. Was when I got up to Dublin into the matter, or to the yeah, Spanish in the matter, they weren't ready for me. And I was here going, what? And I was here going, you knew I was coming up. Like, you know, it's, you told us to, you know, you told Galway, bring you up. We have space. And then when I was there, um, I was here going, you know, excuse the language, but like, heck, this, like, what's going on? I'm roaring in pain. You know, you're not ready for me. So the the the, the bed in that ambulance, like, is a severely uncomfortable um, thing to be lying on for two and a half hours, three hours. But eventually, as I got the bed, and it was great, and then, you know, the surgical team came in, and, you know, I'd say within an hour of arriving in there, I was, I was as far as I can remember now, I was having the operation. And it was eight and a half or nine hours operation. And all I remember as well is I met a lovely lady. She was a niecist um, from Barna. That's how I got talking to her. It was one of the few conversations I actually do remember. Um, so I was, again, they couldn't give me any painkillers. For some reason, they weren't able to give me um, full-on morphine or anything like that because, again, I think they had to reduce it because I had to get the operation done so quickly. Um, but this girl, and I was a room of weight, she weighed me. I was 126 kgs. All, yeah, I never realized I was that weight. So, yeah, that was, you know, I was, I was probably heading for a heart attack if, if this didn't happen. Put it that way. So, yeah, and then I had the operation, and, you know, that's it. And after that operation, before we go into the sort of rehab and stuff, what were you told after the operation by the specialist? Okay, so like just emphasize, like after the operation, you you know you think the pain might have been subsided a little bit. It, it did because it was giving me, you know, then they could give me all the pain killers they wanted, but the pain was still immense. It was just constantly there, and um, you know, and it's something that I still, you know, I still have pain to this day, twenty four seven. But that's a small thing to 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 um to worry about. Um but so and I might get this timeline timeline wrong because obviously I was medicated up to the last, it was after the operation. But at some point, um he wasn't the lead uh, surgeon, but he was one of the surgeons and he came over to me and obviously I'd woken up and I was looking out and I could see my two knees were just there on a kind of a platform while I was in the bed and that'd be nice and comfortable. And I was looking out a window that looked out onto the reception. It wasn't a, it was like, it was a room in the middle of the, the, the ward rather than a room looking out over, you know, city or anything like that. And uh, I was just sitting there and he came into me and he says, uh, he was talking away. And I just said to him, look, I just said, am I, am I, am I, am, will I, will I just, is this the way it's going to be like, you know, I was looking down on my feet. And I forget, he just put his hands on my shoulder and said to me, yeah, Look, it should be very, very unlucky. I was like, "What? Okay, so this is the way it is going to be." And he goes, "Well, this kind of the stats are so: four people in a million get a spinal cord injury. Five um, percent of those four, if you get movement within the next seventy-two hours, you have a five percent chance of um, getting movement." Uh, and getting some strength back. That's why he said, so after four people in a million, you have a 5% chance if you get movement after 72 hours. 
That's what he said. And I was like, You're not very favorable odds. No, no, they aren't. And um, now I said he might now. This word I get a little bit confused myself now. That could have been the second conversation he was having about me, but what I can remember is that was on the same conversation. Do you know what I mean? He he could have come in an hour later and told me those stats, but I, I look, I was just a little bit too drugged out to to actually to get the timeline right. But yeah, so when that happened, then obviously I was left alone for a little while, and I remember just like this sounds so not cringy, but so Hollywood, if you know what I mean, as a all I could think of was number one was shit. I'm never going to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle. That was my very first thought when he walked out of the out of the like. My daughter was only six at the time, no seven maybe at the time. You know, think that you're walking down your aisle, your daughter, and then all I could think is I'm not going to be able to. Pay, um, I'm not going to be able. Um, um, I would, I'm not able to um, play soccer out the back with my young lad. They were the massive things. Um, and then obviously then with a newborn who was only nine months old, who at this stage I hadn't even got to know because um, I was, I'd been working very, very hard and whatever else and stuff like that. So they were my thoughts. They were my very, very first thoughts. Um, but that was the only time, and I, the only time whereby I, I, I felt sorry for myself. And it was the only time I let myself feel sorry for myself because the most important thing in my mind at that stage was be strong, show that you're being strong. So at least the people down home thought I was uh, in a very good place. Do you know, because I didn't want them to be worrying about, oh, look at him, he's in a bad way up in Dublin um, and having them to have that extra worry. So I suppose I, I was in a bad way. I wasn't letting myself to be thinking in a bad way and I was definitely not portraying it um, because I look at you know yourself, like they had enough to be worn out, especially my my, my wife uh, at the time. Like she had two kids, we were building a house, you know, she was living in my old grandmother's house and then having to trek up and down to Dublin to see me. Like that's a lot of pressure um on a on a person. So I was trying my best to 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 show a really good face. Was she with you in Dublin at this time? Yeah, so we're she was very lucky. We had uh she's a good friend called Claire. And she was able to um, stay with Claire, who was, who was only literally a 10 minute walk away from the Mara Hospital. She lived down there beside Crow Park. And uh, she, I think, I think, oh, what was it? Um, I think I was there for 12 or 14 days. I can't remember exactly, but I was meant to be getting down to St. Finbar's after five or six days, which down and back down to the Galway while I waited for the bed to come free and then her H. And, um, just as a, they were getting ready to discharge me for the weekend, I was here this room, I'm going down to Goa, I'll get to see my family, you know, um, and it's not the big trek up and down and she can stay at home, you know, and so on and so on. Um, but then just a day or two beforehand, I noticed my, the levels of oxygen, um, you know, you know, the, the, the recorder they have was really low and I was struggling. I was struggling to breathe. And again, the pain was just constant. It was just... It's just constant, um, but it's something you kind of got start to get new stuff, because um, you know you'd have your own morphine drip, and whenever you needed it, you just pressed it, you know. Um, but I was telling them for a full day that I'm I'm not feeling right. I'm just you know I'm really I'm really lethargic, struggling to breathe sometimes, and 
eventually some of them did a few tests for me and there I had, had two big massive um, clots in my lungs. So when there was clots, yeah, yeah. And that was from like having operation and sitting down on a bed and not being able to move. That's what that developed from, you know. And so then, um, you know, there's a big panic and all that over that. And obviously then I had to stay in for another week up in Dublin until they kind of got that under control. So, yeah, so that was a... That was nearly a bigger fright uh, because, you know, you have your operation wherever else and then, like, I'm really struggling with the, the breathing and so I'm really struggling with this. So I was here going, what the hell is going on here? Is this just, just, just another symptom of having a spinal cord injury? But thankfully, what, was, hap- what happened within the 72 hours? Mm. Did you get movement within that time? No, nothing. No? Not a thing. So, you, did, so you didn't even make the 5% then? No. Nothing, absolutely nothing. It was, yeah. So, and I, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't even something I focused on. Um, again, I can't emphasize the amount of pain I was in, even after the operation. It was just, ah, uh, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. Like any time they tried to move me just to get an operate X-ray done, or like people, like so they were absolutely amazing up in the national like i have nothing but a great experience of the health service and that's been very very truthful for you now my thing was an injury not an illness or anything like that so you know it, you know i think it's probably a, an easier thing to look after a, a, a patient who has an injury rather than a patient who has an illness in my opinion but uh and i was like i they were moving like i couldn't move Literally, I couldn't move. So, like every every two or three hours, they come in and move you onto your side, and they come back two or three hours later and move you onto the other side. And like you had a nappy on and everything, like you know, you had your your, your catheter, catheter. Like I lost everything, like from a belly button down, like um, bowels, um, you know, bladder functions, absolutely everything. Like so, like I was being hoisted in and out of the bed, um, you know, to um, to uh, go and get x-rays done and like all that type of stuff was bringing back just immense immense pain that's my massive i suppose um memory of all this you know the 72 hours and the, the two weeks was just constant constant pain so it was and it wasn't really, so it wasn't listening here it's i mean thanks for sharing it's- there's so many questions I could ask that I'm really struggling to figure out which one's going to be the best one to ask because that sounds horrendous. And obviously, you played rugby at a high standard. You're a big, strong man. Like you're, yeah, probably uh, like had your fair share. Of good pain. Yeah, have a good pitch, but yeah, look, I have a good, very good pain threshold. Very good pain threshold. But just yeah. this was, yeah, so it shows how much pain that must have been. But there, there are two yeah. things I kind of want to pick at there and um, one was you said your mindset was about not letting other people worry about you and trying to focus on on staying positive yeah did was there a moment though that or moments that you weren't i know you said there that you're worried about your children and, and mm. the future with them did that play for long or was the sort of focusing on a positive mindset did that help you as much as help the other people do you think I, I believe it did, and it wasn't the focus of why I did it, though, but I do believe massively it was um, a huge contributing factor because I, I, I now believe, like, you know, a positive mind is, is, is a, an absolute brilliant mind. And 
you know, when you keep yourself positive, it, it feeds everything else into the body. And, you know, and then like, if you're, if you're positive, you, you know, your body will react to it. Um, and obviously your mind reacts to it. And even like, I, like, so like, I didn't do it on purpose for myself, but I, I did have, I, I, my, my belief, it did have a huge knock on effect. Like, I don't know why. I have absolutely no idea why. Why I concentrate on my big right toe. That's why I concentrate to move on. Every day, every night, every waking moment I could. I was looking down when I was on my own. I was looking down on that big right toe. Don't know why I focused on that. That's what I did focus on. And uh, eventually, thanks be to God, I got my moving after 21 days down in Finbar's down in Galway. And you know yourself, guys, when you have um, progress, you know, it just drives you on. It just drives you, drives you, drives you. And, and that's, that's really when everything really took off for me when I seen progress. Now, I mean, like, like that was how much movement I had in my big toe. You can barely see that. But that, I thought I was hallucinating when it happened. I really did. Because it happened during the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep. Most nights I couldn't sleep. You know, when I yet slept was actually when like, they were feeding you sleeping tablets and absolutely everything, but you were already sleeping when you actually were so exhausted you couldn't do anything else and you'd nod off for maybe half an hour or 45 minutes and then you'd wake back up and you know you'd be back into the same routine of just like it's 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 a surreal experience just lying there and not being able to do anything for yourself. Like you know, literally, I was just lying there, and I to be to, to get out of the bed, you had to, I had that to put a hoist around me, which was like which was like a ten minute job with three people, you know. It's, it's you know, going on, you know. It's it's when I look back and it, it's just a surreal experience. Like you know, you just don't realize these things until it actually happens. Yeah, you know, how how a disability affects people, you know, and yeah. So, but what was um we're talking just there, but like positivity and, and the mindset and, and the yeah. strength mindset and it's kind of like I don't know if you can compare it but it's like you know when you're high in motivation you train well and you eat well yeah what yeah. was what was what was the lowest of, of lows like what was one point where you were thinking maybe something like fuck this I can't do this or you know where, um, where what did you hit a rock bottom at any point Fergus oh yeah but that would have been later on in 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 because as I said once I got the movement in my toe and, and the consultant came into me in Galway and his exact words were and I'll always hang out to them that's most unexpected they were his words you know and I was here going well well I'm going to I'm going to show you more basically that was my mm-hmm. so that that drove me but my lowest points was when I was actually but those those two very low low points okay one was when I was very close to leaving then or H. Um, so obviously I had a business. Um, it was under pressure before it just happened, but I was getting on top of it um, before the accident. Um, but then when this happened, it went into massive, massive pressure. So I was getting a lot of, um, I suppose, phone calls and things like that when I was in NRH for the last couple of weeks in relation to financial things with business and stuff like that. And again, like that was just all on my own bat. I didn't want to any, anybody else to know about or anything like that. So it was that. And then um, myself and my now ex-wife, um, we, we were going through a very bad patch and it was completely my own fault because of something I did. 
but I was here going, look, I've done it, and I've done it because I'm not the same person. I'm just, you know, I'm drugged up to the last, like, um, you know, I was just not the same person. Like, I was I was very positive, and I was very what you call it, but I, I still believe that the, the tablets I was on and everything like that had me in a different place as a person. Um, mentally, I was still very strong, but as a person, I was definitely in a totally different place, and not, like... I find it hard to describe now, to be honest with you guys. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with with that, what's going on with the missus uh, and, um, you know, the recovery had a little bit slowed because I was under so much pressure with work, even though I wasn't really working, but it was still all coming back on top of me. Um, I, I, I felt in an extremely, extremely low place. And I like, I, I'm sure you probably know, but I, like, ultimately, I, I did, I got to a point where I was here going, okay, business failing, personal life failing, physically fucked. Even at this stage, because at the end of the day, I still wasn't walking and, and nobody was telling me I, I, I ever would walk. So, yeah, I, I, I got to a point where I actually went down to Dunleary Pier um, and because uh, you're allowed out, you know, and at that stage I had got Thankfully, um, I had got the hand controls in my car and I had passed the the driving, you know, um, the disability driving. So, you know, you could drive the car with the hand controls for the brake accelerator because I had an automatic car. So I remember driving down to Dunleary Pier and um, looking out and I just, I don't know what it was. I just couldn't do it. I was really, tim- I was really there. Um, and then this daft, I went up, which I drove up into Dunleary Town and I, I just went into a pub and I said, right, I'm having a pint. And I was having that pint, like, I was, I was bloody crying. Like, if somebody had seen me, like, we were saying, what the, what the hell is wrong with this man? And I was crying and I was writing a letter to my daughter and to my son and actually to some people in, in, in work and telling them to, you know, go, f- go fuck themselves um, and business people. Like when this accident happened to me, I had massive contracts with big UK companies. And within a week or two of them, knowing that the accident happened, I put up the contracts because I wasn't at the helm anymore. Like it was just, and this, that was one of the big learning curves is, you know, you know, people in business uh, who you perceive as being your friends and your allies. Yeah, no, you know what I mean? So ultimately, that was the biggest, one of the biggest lows. And then I kind of recovered from that and I said, right, okay, um, you know, I need to, I don't know what, look at, I don't know what made me come out of it, um, being honest with you, but I did. And then I got my head really strong again and I plowed back into the physio and I just kind of put the kind of the business back in my mind and the troubles with my missus at the back of the mind and I just plowed on I said right okay the one good thing that's going for me at the moment is I'm making progress I'm going to stay doing it so my goal at this stage was right okay I've come in here into the NRH on a bed I'm leaving it walking simple as just I'm going to I'm going to leave walking and um, that was my goal and um, that's what I did now when I say I was walking, I have a video there on Instagram and stuff like that. When I say I was walking, now the physios were either side of me having a panic attack because I was so unstable on my feet, but I walked through those doors 
and I walked down the ramp to my car and got into it on my own. Uh, now, like, because again, I was like, I did it on my own. There was there was nobody, friends or family there. It was just the physios, and I drove out then her H walking. So and then I walked out and I drove home, and uh, yeah. So that was for me. That was a massive personal achievement because, you know, going into the NRH, I was like I even tell you that this has gone through. So when I went into the NRH, now I was lucky. I got in there for six weeks. I've been in. I was only six weeks in bars. Usually the waiting list was twelve to sixteen weeks. But because I got that movement, the I got movement. You know, they said, okay, there's something happening here with this man. Look, we can't leave him lying here for so long. So I got. Luckily, I got a bit of luck quicker than what I should have, um, which was huge for my 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 progress. Uh, but uh, I was, where was I going? Sorry, now where was I going with that? My apologies. Um, yeah. So, oh yeah. So when I was in the when I arrived into the inner H, they're all you know for the first day or two they're just doing you know, they're just testing you and see where you are. But they all would have got the chart, you know, grade A spinal cord injury, i.e., nothing. And so they're doing all these tests, and like you know, you'd have your physio come and do their tests. You'd have your uh, your your um your um the consultants doing your tests, so on and so on. And they'll come and they'll be ten minutes doing the tests, and you're going, they'll be looking at me going, they look at the chart, and they'll be looking at me going, um, you're moving. I said, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, because still in their charts, I was down to spinal grade A, you know. So they all had to restart. The, the 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 tested and everything with me, so even that I was here going. Well, look at I'm I'm already beaten. You know what you're thinking already. So that was a, that was actually quite quite nice because everyone had the great A spinal cord injury, and they started their program. They started their testing way down. You know, whereas they should have started at a different level. So that was kind of a a nice thing to have as well. You know, to hold on to and to keep you fighting. You know, so yeah, yeah, and then. I suppose you're asking about then I had another real low point when I got out. So because I walked out in her H and I bet expectations and I reached my goal of walking out. That was my goal. Um, and that was my challenge. And this is where obviously I learned a lot about myself and what I need to do to keep me focused on life and to, to have a fulfilling life. Um, when I got out, then everything was just completely empty. Um, obviously, I did move back in with my ex-wife. Well, now now my ex-wife, um, things weren't great there. And then, like, I was sitting at home most of the time, and I couldn't even get up and down steps. I hadn't mastered doing steps, and into my house was steps. Everything was steps, so that was a struggle to get in and out of the house. So I ended up staying in the house a lot. And I suppose one of the big turning points was um, I remember. So Dad's farm is right beside where we built the house. And it was a lovely day, and I was sitting in the the, the kind of the sunroom. And I was looking out, and there was my dad, nearly seventy years of age, building a pillar. And I'm here going, like that should be me. That should be me there, at least out helping him lifting the blocks. But I'm in here sitting, so I was kind of going, I, that was a real low low point. And then obviously the relationship was going bad, the business still going bad, and I don't know what drove me. And then there was this silence inside in the house that was eerie and I I had no drive to do anything because I had no challenges and I just ended up um, really dipping, but I dipped really quick that time, really, really quick. 
and uh, again, I, I went down the, the 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 I suppose I went down the avenue of probably, you know, of saying right, that's I've had enough, and I'm, I'm done, you know. So again, very popular place in Galway for um, making sure that you know if you do go in there, you do, you know, uh, you have a very good sex success rate in, in ending your life. So I went into Galway um, to. Okay, jump into the river. That's a very fast flowing river through Galway City. And uh, when I arrived in there, the tide was out, so it was a good time to do it. So once again, what did I do? I went down to a pub to have a pint, wait for the tide. I knew the tide was coming in, which raises the river. Um, and then when I was walking back, this is now this is where I think somebody was definitely looking over me. Because when I was walking back, it's only about 250, 300 meters. During that time, a cop car passed by because obviously there was, um, uh, I don't know, a, a lot put out looking for me. Um, the person in that cop car was a guy I played rugby with. And he recognized me straight away and got out of the car and stopped me and brought me into Mill Street Garda Station. And from that point in onwards, I, you know, I was signed in for a week into a mental institution uh, in, in NUIG. And, um, I was really angry. Fuck, I was so angry, you know, in terms of, I don't know, I was just angry with everything. And uh, yeah, but it was a, you know, that was the turning circle. And then I realized my life when I was in there for the week, you know, what, what, what drove me, what motivated me, and, and ultimately what motivates me is, and what keeps me going is challenges. Challenges, I need to have a challenge in front of me to keep myself focused mentally, physically, um, yeah, and that's what I got from all that that episode. So it was it was it was it was a it was a tough few months. Um, but as I said, um, a lot like I, I learned a lot about myself. Look, I went to the depths of despair. So in a space, a couple of months, I went from the euphoria of beating a, a grade A spinal cord injury um, to going to into the depths of this depression, trying to end things. Um, in space of a few months, you know, so I learned an awful lot about the mindset of your mind um, and I'm trying to make the most of it now, you know, what I did learn through that time. Um, yeah. Fergus, so, you mentioned something, you mentioned something there about 10 minutes ago about um, a fulfilling life. Yeah. Can you explain to us what that means for you now? Fulfilling life, is it? Yeah. Now, um, so feeling life is for me it's it's constantly looking to improve your situation um to to try and live a, a purer life what i mean by that is you know just to be a better person to your friends to your family um be more honest um um it's just on, the, on a day-to-day -day basis, try and prove yourself and try and be that better person um, and try and do those little deeds every day that it actually comes second nature after a while. And, 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 and you know, be positive and, you know, try and help people out. And um, look at, like, for me, uh, fulfillment is just... Make the most of every every day you have. Um, be positive, um, and try and try and try and put that positivity onto other people. Not force onto them, but show them that 
you know, by being positive, by being proactive, that, you know, you can change your own perspective in life, you know, and... Um, is, there any, is there any part of you that you left behind you that day of the accident? Like any parts that you decided you didn't want to take forward with you? Yeah, well, it was more... So it wasn't the day of the accident when I decided that was when I was down. So look at the way I looked at things. And, um, I don't know where I got this expression from or a theory from. So when I went look, when I went down and I was very close to ending it all, you know, obviously I went down a ladder at, um, of my life. And you have an option at that stage of going back up the same ladder and having the same life or going back up a, a different ladder and choosing choosing the ladder you want to go up. And that was a decision I made when I was very lost. And I'm thankful for that. So, yeah, there's a lot of things I left behind, you know, a lot of things. Um, and I, I, I still do struggle from day to day to make sure that those things don't creep back into my life because, look, at the habits of a lifetime. And, you know, so I do struggle from day to day to make sure that, you know, those habits don't creep back in, especially now with, like, for me, COVID was actually a brilliant time because it gave me time for myself to to um develop better you know what i mean if i had been busy with work and stuff like that i don't think i would have had the time to concentrate on you know this trying to you know improve myself um so there's a lot of things i've left behind yeah like you know the anger um you know looking down at people just just um trying to so we did get cut out there so positive this is edited back in but um something went in the recording but uh, Fergus, there's so much there that I want to say thanks for sharing and I for a start. And no a couple of things I want to just sort of pick at it. So Aidan actually lent me a book not that long ago called The Meaning of Life, mm-hmm. and, which was a book, I don't know if you've ever heard of it or read of it, and, but it was uh, basically... Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning, yeah. Sorry, that's the one. Like Frankel. Victor Frankl, who survived the Holocaust, and he kind of spoke about yeah. that. And one of the main things I took from it was the people that gave up were those that ended up passing away or not making it when they yeah. lost a purpose or a meaning to their lives. And it seems like the two or three experiences there where you were really at the depths of depression and you really were contemplating suicide, that it was a sense of meaning and purpose that brought you out of it whether it was your children or, you know, whether it was that competitiveness of beating the odds. I mean, the odds were really stacked against you, but, you know, did you feel that at the time that there was more to your life and that you had more to offer and more to give or what was the sort of things that went through your head? Well, so basically what got me out of the depths of despair really is it um, what made to, to rebuild yeah, so there was a lot of things, really. Um, well, the first thing was that I, I realized, look, to keep me focused and keep the mind positive, I do need challenges, okay? Um, and when I don't have a challenge, I'm, I'm, I'm lost, just lost as a person. So that doesn't mean it has to be a physical challenge. It doesn't have to be mental. But like a, a challenge in work or even, you know, it could be the smallest of challenges, but I need to have them. Um, so that was... The thing was, I, I suppose I discovered that I need to focus on myself. Um, this might sound very selfish. But I need to, so basically, because a lot of my life, I always focused on, because um, I played team sports. I played, you know, uh, you know, I've always been involved in business and having employees and stuff like that. So 
a lot of the times I used to always have be, my focus would be on other things other than myself, you know, um, you know, so um, that's where I, I, I discovered, you know, let's focus on myself to get myself better and then to be able to um, be better for the people that are around me. So that's why I focused on. I started focusing on keeping my mind. I I I I, I see firsthand um, what a positive mindset can do. I helped me be a prognosis. I, I I never gave up on myself when I was when I had that challenge in front of me as to getting my feet. I just kept driving, driving, driving. Um, like I just kept at it. You know, once I have something in front of me, I'm the type of person who will just stay going, going, going until I get there. Now, it might take me a long bloody time, but I stay going. So that was one of the big things that um, I, 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 I um, focused on was getting myself in a lot better shape mentally, physically, um, and emotionally, and just live in the present um, and enjoy it. And um, not so much look back in the past. I find looking back in the past, all right, you learn your lessons from bad things in the past, good things in the past, but you learn your lessons, but you don't. You don't set your parameter to things you've done in the past because I think that will hold you back. You know, so like why why look at something in the past and say, okay, I'm back here to that level. I should be happy. No, because there's more levels. Um, you can get to way more levels. Just because you've reached where you are at one point in your life doesn't mean you 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 stop or you you know, there's many, many more levels you can go to, and you won't know about these levels until you 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 um try to get there you know um so that's why i learned was get myself in a better place keep myself extremely positive do as much things around my my life to to help me keep it positive and then i can you know be better for my kids be better for my business be better for my employees be better for my parents be better for my sister you know all those people who helped me out massively during um my very very dark moments you know, so that's that's why that's why I learned, you know, is you know, really focus on yourself to be a better person. Uh, and then when you are that better person, then you are way better off. Um, you've better relationships, you've everything is better. It just um and you're more positive and that reflects on people that are around you as well, you know. Fergus, so, we were we had a quick we had a quick phone call before we started this recording and, and you're asking about me and Stephen and some of the yeah. things that we were talking about, which wouldn't you wouldn't associate, or maybe not associate, what normal men in an Irish society would talk about, and we're obviously talking about very sensitive stuff here. And yeah. you're like, yeah. you were saying you're a hundred, you were 126 kilos, like you're a big man. If, if you know, if yeah. anyone's walking down the street, say you're going, look, that's a big strong man. And and we're yeah. talking about things here that that most men don't talk about or that bottle no. up has has your experience changed how you open up and how you feel is the right things for men to talk about now? Yeah. So what, what I found is like, I'm, I'll open up to anybody that needs me to open up to them. Um, you know, um, what I have found massively and, um, and, I, and I actually really love it is that because I've opened up more um, people who um, I know very well, have been able to open up to me and share their experiences because I've done it. Do you know, so they feel that 
hi, look at this man, you know, he, he, he's able to take this on board and I'm able to share it with him because he shared it. So I found that massive and I've, I've really enjoyed people sharing it with me and obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, and like, look, at, I'm not an educated man, um, but I've got good life experiences at this stage. And when they're sharing these things to me, I, I, I do try and, well, first of all, most, I just listen. And when I listen to them, I do try and help in some sort of way, um, you know, or give them a small bit of advice, uh, whether it's right or wrong, I have no idea. As I said, I have no qualifications or nothing like that. It's just life experiences. But I'm delighted that people feel that they can. Now, saying that again, the people who are really, really close to me, um, some of my friends, uh, you know, I think they would they still struggle to to open up big time. Big, I think they're just too close as friends, if you know what I mean. Uh, whereas by it's like it's nearly like cousins who have opened up to me or or people who maybe, you know, I might meet. You know, you know, you might talk to them once a month or something like that. It's there's still that little bit of a, a distance between how close we are. Whereas my real close friends, I think, still struggle to. It might not be a case of them opening up to you. Maybe they open up to their partners or to somebody else. But because of you, they feel more confident in themselves that they can do something like that. I hope so because, like, look at it. Look at it's a, it's 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 very hard to change a, a lifetime. Um, habit very very difficult and but I, I just hope that you know that they do because you know it's just, it's just not healthy and we we, we as, as irish men we just don't realize like you know bottling things up like this is putting more like i did not believe when i was working i was I mean i was i two companies it was going well like until until that i won't go into huge detail but i was really going well and I was busy, 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 no time for family. But I didn't realize all this. And I didn't believe in stress. I didn't believe in mental uh, illnesses or anything like that because I literally didn't have time for it, you know. So I was just going on. But when I look back on it, sure, it was just, I was just stressed to the nines. But I was just living with it because I didn't have time to think about it or to, to respond to that type of stress. And when I look back and I just like, I just hope people, um, you know, do open up and do talk to people because it's it's the, it's the greatest medicine. It's absolutely amazing medicine. You're sharing it. Now, I, I, I think men in Ireland don't want to share it because they feel they're burdening their partners or their parents with that problem. Um, where we should be looking at it is that you're, you're sharing, you're, not, you're only sharing your, your experience and just letting them know like that's where you are. Whereas I think men believe that we're actually putting that burden onto somebody when we, when we talk to somebody else about it. It's like as a, an old addict, is that the problem shared is a problem halved? Halved. Yeah. But, kind of stuck with yeah, but, but I think like I, that, that's the way I would have been honest, definitely. I wouldn't, if I was to, to have a chat with my dad um, and I was telling him under pressure, I was always in the opinion that, and I think my dad, because men in Ireland are, 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 and probably men generally, we try and solve things and we try and fix things. That's our, our, in our DNA and that's, that's who we are. So I think when we try and share things, um, when I share something with somebody, automatically their first thing is, how do I fix this or how do I help? Whereas, you know, all they're doing is just 
taking the load off our shoulders and talking about it. We, we're not just, necessarily just looking just to yeah. yeah, exactly. But as I said, I think Irish men and men in general are geared that, okay, there's a problem here. I need to fix it. How do I fix it? Speaking about, speaking about load on your shoulders, tell us a little bit now about Project Empire and what you're intending to do with it. Yeah, um, yeah, a bit crazy. Um, so look, at, this goes back to me having challenges in my life, okay? And uh, I suppose there isn't too many bigger challenges, um, you know, in, in the world uh, than what we're doing. So a good friend of mine, he's... Um, He's an adventurer by trade, um, an amazing character. Damien Brown is his name. Uh, he's rode the Atlantic already from Canary Islands over to the Bahamas, um, going back four or five years ago, um, which in, in ocean rowing is one of the lesser difficult routes, but there's no such thing as a difficult as an easy route in ocean rowing. It's absolute mayhem, crazy stuff. So we're rowing from New York to Galway. Uh, May 2022, we're, we're, we're hoping to set off. Um, we're going for the world record, which is 55 days and 13 hours and something minutes. And um, it's 127 years now of a record. Um, there's going to be obviously myself and Damien in it. Um, and look, at, for me, I'm doing it to show that when you don't give up on yourself, um, and you stay pushing yourself, there's no limit to what you can do. And that's a big, big thing for me. Um, never, ever give up on yourself because the minute you give up on yourself, you stop, stop progressing. So that's, I'm trying to do this by actions rather than just words. Uh, and that's my driving point behind doing this mammoth task. It's 5,000 kilometers unsupported across the Atlantic language or sorry, the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it's only been attempted at this stage uh, by 57 people. So it is two, two crews actually failed this year. So it is, um, and one guy, Dingler is his name, he's very close to finishing it. He'd be one of the first to finish it in many, many, many years. An amazing character. Um, we hope to, but it's, he's been out in the sea, I think it's something like 92, 93 days already. Crazy. Yeah. So is there, just, is, there anywhere, is there anywhere we can direct people to, to support this, Fergus? Yeah. Or? So um, things have begun to start to ramp up. We've been quite quiet um, over the last few months because we've been just really focusing on training and, you know, getting things planned, the planning, um, you know, done. So you can go on to um, our social media um, sites on Instagram, which is Project Empower. Uh, 2022 and the same with Facebook you know or you can go onto our website www.projectempower.ie um, you know, there isn't much there isn't much activity on them at the moment because um, you know it's a little bit soon to be to, to, to doing stuff um, but yeah look it's, it's, it's an immense project and so we're going for the world record and um, we believe that we, we, we will get it we're doing the training we're doing it and again the whole reason behind it for me is that I want to sh- sh- show people that look at you, 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 you. It's only us who sets our targets. You know, you know, you set it, you go for it, and um, you can you can achieve it if you want to badly enough. Yeah, Fergus, I don't think there's many people that would be able for that. Well, I say that, but to be honest, you're an absolute inspiration listening to that. And if anyone's going through any tough 
situations themselves hopefully they'll find something from listening to your experience there and to go from yeah. literally three years ago being told you'll you'll never walk to rowing across the atlantic ocean is yeah unreal in fairness to you and um, yeah and i think i think we could actually leave it there that's i mean yeah. I, I thank you so much for sharing it all and if you have any final words i'll, I'll hand them over to you just to finish off the podcast yeah, well, look, at, um, for me, um, like this has just been such an amazing experience. Um, people say, like, for, from the minute the accident happened right through, it's been an experience and it's been a big, massive learning curve. And I suppose my big thing is that you never stop learning, you never stop progressing, you never stop getting better. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. And I'm absolutely can't wait to get out in this ocean and row and row and row and show people that never give up attitude will get you everywhere. And that's that's big for me. Absolutely huge. Good man. Amazing, Sorry. Fergus. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks so much very much, Aidan. And Lucas, um, I'd love to talk to you again whenever you know that you're two very good guys. Hi everybody, it's Aidan here again and we just wanted to record a little outro for this podcast. Uh, Stephen can't make it today, he's away. So I thought I'd just jump in here and we discussed that we just wanted to say, we wanted to take our hats off to Fergus um, because he is what you would probably describe as the epitome of a big man. He's tall, he's wide, he's 124 kilos um or 126 i can't remember exactly but a big guy and he just openly talked about everything that he went through all the dark places he went to in his head and it didn't bother him to talk about it before we interviewed fergus we asked him was there anything that was off the radar for questions or any anywhere he didn't want us to go because we kind of knew that we wanted to dig a little bit deeper and he said that he was an open book so that kind of helps solidify some of the things that mean that Stephen and myself want to do with the podcast which is trying to empower men to openly talk about things that aren't so comfortable things that like like emotions and like feelings and things that are very valid for men also as well as women but just listening to Fergus talk there so openly was was very empowering for us um and as you may have listened to the end of the podcast fergus and damien brown are um collaborating with project empower uh, damien brown is a former european cup winner with leinster and has done some crazy things as well in terms of endurance events this event in particular is going to be a studied uh, endeavor over 24 months and it's going to encapsulate fergus and damien's journey to empower themselves uh for a row from New York to Galway, they're going to row 4,937.47 kilometers unsupported across Atlantic Ocean. This is happening in 2022. There's going to be a book, there's going to be a docu-movie that will tell the story. We're going to attach all the links to the podcast so you can follow the journey and if you want to donate or support them in any way, you can. And that's everything, I think. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as Stephen and myself did. I hope it empowers you to, to move on and do some something maybe that you've had in the pipeline. 
and I hope you have a great week whenever and wherever you're listening to this. Peace and love.